If we lived in the late 1800s, 1890s in particular, early 1890s, there would have been, you, we would all know the most popular, one of the most popular uh, piano, um, concert pianists and uh, writers, composers of his day, Paderewski was from Poland and he drew large crowds and in, um, in desperation, two college students from Stanford University, Stanford was a brand new university in the 1890s, these two college students needed money. As most, if you've gone through college, there's a time in college that you need money. <laughs> and maybe all of college that you need money. So these co two college students had this idea. Let's talk to the famous Paderewski and see if he will do this concert. And we will um, pay him, obviously, and then we'll get to keep whatever is extra. So Paderewski said, all right, $2,000 is the price, which probably today is probably $20,000. $2,000 is the price. Anything you guys make in addition to that is yours. So they had the concert. They got the money collected, and it came to $1,600. So if you're a poor college student owing now $400 more than you wanted to expecting to earn uh, money, Paderewski found out, and these two college students said, here's the $1,600. we are sorry we didn't make $2,000, but we'll work, and we'll be kind of in debt to you until we pay you the full $2,000. He found out and found out why they wanted to have him, and he said, okay, no. Instead, here's what you need to do. Uh, pay your bills, whatever it costs to rent the concert hall. Give yourselves each 10% of of the money for all of your work that you did to promote this, and I'll take the rest. These two college students didn't forget that. And World War II, World War I came, and in the in Poland, as much of uh, Eastern Europe was devastated with World War One, and many people were starving. Our uh, future president, Herbert Hoover, was in charge of distributing much food to the um, to those in Poland. And Paderewski was then the premier of Poland and distributing much needed food to the people starving in his country. And when it came time for him to travel to uh, meet a beneficiary, someone who organized a lot of food or sending to Poland, Herbert Hoover uh, met Paderewski and Paderewski couldn't thank him enough for saving the lives of many of, of those in Poland. And Herbert Hoover says to Paderewski, you actually bailed me out when I was in college and I needed money and probably told him the story of the concert that didn't go as planned. There are results to gracious giving. And we have seen 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 8 and 9, uh, that gracious giving is the theme of these two chapters and in ministry to other people, gracious giving is one of those things um, that doesn't just bless the giver, it uh, blesses um, those who are receiving the gift. And we'll see other results uh, today from our passage that we just read. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You're probably there with me. And verse 9 says, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. I told Pastor Ty to choose uh, Psalm 112 uh, to introduce our service. 
And so let's go back to Psalm 112. Hold your hand here in 2 Corinthians uh, 9. And uh, get the context of, of Psalm 112. Um, Paul could have quoted, uh, as he mentions, um, a couple other, refers to a couple other passages in the Old Testament in uh, these giving. He could have mentioned Proverbs 22, as some one commentator said, uh, would, have, would have been the, the commentator's preference that he did use that verse uh, in, uh, from Proverbs 22, 8 and 9. But instead, he, he picks a uh, psalm, the Holy Spirit obviously uh, is telling Paul what to write here. Um, and so he chooses Psalm 112. And Psalm 112, as we saw in our introduction to our service, is about a righteous man who deals generously and lends, verse 5. He deals generously and lends. He conducts his affairs with justice. The righteous will never be moved. Here is a man who is stable, he's consistent, he's not afraid of bad news, his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8, his heart is steady, he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. But what is the key to this man? What's the foundation of this man's generosity and stability? It's back at the end of 11, 10 and one twelve verse 1. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land, the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his home, and his righteousness endures forever. What is the stability? What's the key to the stability and the generosity of righteous people on the earth? It is they know wisdom. How do you get wisdom when you, you and I choose to fear the Lord? It all begins with the fear of the Lord. The Old Testament, the New Testament tells us about fearing God. And then verse 9, which is quoted, uh, Psalm 112, verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Someone's righteousness enduring forever isn't something that we can guarantee, but it's something our God can guarantee. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Motivating results of gracious giving. We, if you were in Sunday school, I want to encourage you to watch Sunday school. If you weren't here in Sunday school, it's on YouTube, uh, Second Samuel study. And there are consequences. Sin has serious consequences for David um, and his family after he sins with Bathsheba. And we have studied that the last three Sunday schools. And so if you have been out of Sunday school for whatever reason or you're in teen Sunday school, you're welcome to. And I'm going to encourage you to watch um, the study from Second Samuel. There's also the consequences of evil and sin and trouble and affliction come when there's disobedience, but when there's righteousness, when there's godliness, when there's generous giving, there's also good consequences. And this passage builds on the opposite of Sunday school where there was negative consequences. Here there are positive um, beneficial, wonderful, 
uh, desirable consequences that we would all want in our lives, like we saw in, in Psalm 112. If we will fear the Lord, if we will use what he has given us to please him. So the, the uh, wise person, the ministry-minded, pleasing God, God-glorifying person from 2 Corinthians is seen to be generous. He's giving to people. He is sowing um, bountifully. He is expecting to reap bountifully. He is giving with a cheerful heart, not reluctantly, verse 7 says. He's not feeling like he has to give. He knows God's love. He's enjoying God's love as he is cheerfully giving what God has given to him to bless other people financially. Verse 8, and I had you uh, hopefully memorize this. If not, memorize it this week and meditate on it. It will really, I've meditated on it this week, and this is such a great verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And so don't think that God is uh, going to expect you to give and then leave you poverty-stricken and miserable. That's not God. God's going to give you all the grace you need to abound in every good work. This is how our God operates. This is how the true reality of the Christian life works. So why do we need this passage? We all need to know the God-glorifying results of our gracious giving. If I told you to please God with your life, you'd say, yeah. Well, what, what's in it for me? Most people say that. But as you grow as a Christian, you're not so concerned about you. You're concerned about God and others. What's in it for God? How is my gracious giving going to affect God and other people? And that's this passage. That's this passage. It's going to tell us the results of our gracious giving. When we graciously, God has been gracious to us. We are just channels and we give graciously to other people. Here is what we can expect as the results. And this is such an encouraging message, and I hope it comes across that way uh, today. So let's look. Uh, we looked at verse 9 and looked at the context of, uh, of Psalm 112. And now look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This sounds like a verse from... Isaiah 55, seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so is my word. It shall not return unto me empty, but it will accomplish what I promised. So God in his providence uses, in his wisdom, uses language that sounds like the benefits of God's word in Isaiah 55. Um, here are the benefits similar to us or God using us to graciously give to other people. And God's going to supply. That's the he. Verse 10 is, uh, is God. God is the one who supplies the seed to the sower. God supplies bread for food. And God will supply. Notice the surety here. These are sure results. He will supply and he will multiply your seed for sowing. And he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now compare that verse, verse 10, with verse 9, which is quoting from Psalm 112, verse uh, 9. The, the wise, righteous man who is fearing God and who is generous to the poor, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor. 
This man's righteousness endures forever. Who oversees this man's righteousness enduring forever? It's the God who supplies the seed. It's the man who is firm and stable and trusting God and is fearing God privately so that he sees God provide for him and he gives God the glory. And this man is used to bless other people because he is fearing God privately. He's trusting God personally. And now he's seeing God uh, use him and connect him with other believers who need this man's resources. This is how the sovereign uh, God operates the universe. If you have a need, if I have a need, God puts it on other people's hearts to meet those needs. And I could tell you, and if you want to know uh, some of the specifics, ask me at coffee time, and I'll share with you just this year how God has wonderfully supplied my family's uh, needs. So what are we expecting when we generously give? We are expecting to reflect. Remember, it's all about reflecting God's generosity and God's grace and God's love. And here it is reflecting God's righteousness. You see the word righteousness in verse 9. You see it again in verse 10. That when we give and God keeps supplying to us and multiplying what we have so that we can keep giving uh, more to other people, it will increase. God will see that it increases the harvest of your righteousness, not of your finances, of your righteousness. What is the result is that we reflect God's righteousness. And if you were to ask the godly man of Psalm 112, hey, what's the secret to your stability? He would say, fearing God trusting God, loving God, obeying God. Whatever God says, I do, because I know he is, he's in charge, and I'm just his slave. We reflect his righteousness, and we magnify God's righteousness. God always does what's right, and we can, as we generously give, we can point people back not to our own righteousness. What is, if we're without God, what is our righteousness like? Filthy rags, right? So our righteousness is filthy rags, but whenever God uses us to reflect his righteousness, he gets the glory, and we are to reflect. And when we generously give, it does reflect his righteousness. And how long does it affect his righteousness? It endures forever. We can keep reflecting God's righteousness, and God will keep supplying and multiplying our seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You're pleasing God, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Then verses 11 and 12, some more results. You will, again, the will, this is a sure thing, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Notice the two wills here. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Okay, you're just going to be a channel. God's going to give you more, and you're going to be able to be generous more in every way. And then, when you are generous in every way, through us, which Paul's talking about if the Corinthians are generous through Paul, and Paul's going to distribute their gift to those who have needs, you're going to, through us, you will produce thanksgiving to God. 
So who is thanking God in verse 11? Well, if you are a channel, if God has given you and you're able to give others to others, you should be thanking God for that. God, thank you for providing more. Thank you for multiplying this, uh, these finances so that I can be a generous giver. So you're thanking God. Who else, who else is thanking God in this equation? If you're a recipient of finances, do you ever thank God for gifts? <laughs> you should. Okay, right after you get these gifts, you're like, oh, wow, God, you knew that I needed this. You put it on the heart of these people that I don't even know that are miles away, and they uh, used Paul and Titus and these other godly men to travel there to collect this offering, to distribute it to us right at the time we needed it. So what does it reflect here? What's the result? It results in others thanking God. Praising and thanking God is the opposite in Romans 1 of when people see God and they wouldn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. So when Christians, we're not like the world, we haven't, with the power of God, the power of the gospel has transformed us, and we'll see the gospel mentioned here later. But in Romans 1, the power of the gospel transforms the believer's life so that when he sees God, he does glorify him as God, and he is thankful. And thankfulness is spreading here in, the, in, these, um, in this context. So the Macedonians are being generous givers, and they're provoking the Corinthians. The Corinthians were generous givers before and provoked the Macedonians to give. And now these godly men are connecting these ministries and telling uh, people how they are giving and how there is a need and how when the gift is, was received, this is how it was received. And there is a lot of thanking God. Now, if you were in a Roman Empire where persecution was real, and think of Philippi in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are in prison. And the persecution was pretty severe in Philippi and other different locations throughout the Roman Empire. When you gathered as God's people and you were afraid that you were going to get arrested, ugh, the, the, the tone, the, the service would be muted, would be just, we want to survive. But if you had a, a need to just survive and Paul and Titus and other godly men come with a large financial gift and say, hey, here you go. You're going to go from survival mode to thanking God mode. And this is, what, this is where we want to be. This is where we need to be thinking as we're giving, that we're reflecting God's righteousness, and we're going to expect, because all of the wills statements here, we're going to expect that when we are generous, that God will multiply, that God will produce thanksgiving to himself using some Christians who don't even know each other, who live miles away, connecting them financially, and the result is both of these groups are, are giving God praise and thanks. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So there is, if you were a Corinthian and you had a lot of mo money and you gave your money away, you'd have a service of commissioning 
Titus and Paul and these other people to take your money to the other people in the Roman Empire. And you're thanking God that you have the money to give. And when they receive it, uh, they're thanking God that they got it. When you hear back of how they received it, you're again thanking God. And wow, there is just so much unity and joy that results whenever we are generously giving to other believers. And this is what God wants. He wants many of us to be thanking him. And this is the result. Look at the, look at the words here in verse 12. Not only is supplying the needs, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings. What would a church service be like if we left here and everybody said, wow, that was the most thanksgiving type service we've ever had. And like everybody's talking about it and we are overflowing with thankfulness and praise as we go out to coffee time. Like, oh, wow, so it was so such an encouraging time. So thankful for God that he connected us or so thankful that that church helped us or these people helped us. This is what is the result of generous giving from believers who have to the believers who need. And when God connects them and there's willing, cheerful giving, this is what results. We're not done. It doesn't end with verse 12. All right, verse 13. By their approval, so that's the people who are receiving the gift, by their approval of this service, or uh, it's a test uh, or proof of your service, I think it's similar to the word that is prove your love. All right, so when there was a test of their service, and obviously they uh, passed the test, the Corinthians passed the test when the, the gift was received, they will, that's the recipients, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Okay, we'll stop there because there's a lot of words here that we've got to try to unpack. So what's happening? The, the Corinthians are used to give the gift, and I don't know exactly who is getting it, maybe those in Jerusalem or other parts of other needy people. And when the needy people receive the gift, the Christians there are um, thankful for this service. And the Christians there who are recipients of the gift, they will, notice the results here, they will glorify God. So glorifying God is the broader term. Thanksgiving to God is a, a narrow way, a narrower way of how to glorify God. And they're going to glorify God because of a couple things here. So these Christians are getting, getting connected financially from the giver to the recipient. And the recipients are glorifying God because of the Corinthians' submission. The, another word for submission is obedience. Submission or obedience that comes from, here's why they're submissive or obedient to this gracious giving, because of their confession of the gospel of Christ. Here is the test of service. When put through trials, when we're, and as the, the Macedonians uh, earlier in chapter 8 were giving out of uh, beyond their means, they obviously did this for the Corinthians and others in the Roman Empire. Now they're recipients of this. And uh, those who are recipients are glorifying God because of the Corinthians' obedience that comes from their confession of the gospel of Christ. 
The gospel of Christ influences the hearts of the Corinthians, and it, it flows out of their lives. And what does it look like? It looks like submission. It looks like obedience. A story, Luke 19, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, when he is a generous giver at the end of his 10 verses that he has in Luke 19, 1 to 10, at the end of there, at the end of his story, Jesus comes to his house, Zacchaeus trusts Christ alone as his Savior, and then Zacchaeus says, if I have wronged anyone, I'm going to give them back fourfold, obeying the Old Testament law. Half of what I have, I'm going to give it away to the poor. And when Jesus sees that generous giving, Jesus says what? Now we know salvation has come to this house. So the Corinthians probably knew Zacchaeus. They knew the story that, that we know. So what's the result of, uh, of the gospel? So here's one man who is very wealthy. He trusts Christ alone, and he was hoarding wealth. He was uh, greedy to get other people's wealth. And now, instead of being greedy and hoarding, he is, okay, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. If I've wronged anyone, and he probably kept records so he knew who he had wronged, he's given them back fourfold. And then those people are probably thankful that he got wrong because they got four times their money <laughs> from Zacchaeus. He goes from a hated publican to a wonderful testimony of the grace of his Lord Jesus Christ. So it is when we are giving. We're provoking the people that are recipients of our gifts. We're provoking them to glorify God because of our submission that comes from our confession of the gospel of Christ. And when that verse continues, and, so they glorify God because of those two things, and they glorify God because of the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So they are, thanking, they're glorifying God, not just in thanksgiving, but definitely in thanksgiving, but they're broadly glorifying God for this gift, and they're saying, wow, those Corinthians must really understand the gospel. They really are practicing what they believe. They are really generous, and there is thankfulness. There's also, look at verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you. Now, this sounds like when Paul talks to the Thessalonians and when Paul talks to the Corinthians, and he says, man, I wish I could be there with you. And this is the recipients of this financial gift that the Corinthians are going to give. There's going to be a bond that these people have in unity. And there's going to be a desire to get together or desire for each other. Like, man, those Corinthians... <laughs> They, they worship the same God. They believe the same gospel. I, I wish we could get together, is the idea here, verse 14. While they long for you and they pray for you. Now, the prayer times of the recipient and the giver have also been transformed. They're glorifying God. What would a prayer time be like if you had a need and you, God used someone else, another Christian, to meet that need? Would your prayer time be influenced? Obviously. You're like, oh, God, thank you so much before you're begging for money and now you're thanking God for his provision 
And you're thanking God for obedient Christians who he used to provide for your needs. And so there is thankfulness and there is unity here. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. They are distributing God's grace. And notice the, how God's grace is described. It is surpassing grace. The surpassing grace of God. Like the peace of God that surpasses our understanding, guards and keeps our minds and hearts in Christ Jesus in, in Philippians chapter 4. So it is here. What is the result of our gracious giving? It results in thankful unity around his grace. You can see how generous giving really magnifies our picture here. The picture has been there the whole time. I haven't mentioned the picture, but it magnifies the picture. On the cross, we see righteousness in full display. On the cross, we see thankfulness. And on the cross, there's unity around the cross. Because we've all experienced the surpassing grace of God. And then verse 15. An appropriate end for a giving passage. Thanks be to God. This passage is about thankfulness. If you go back and look with me, you'll see thanksgiving to God at the end of verse 11. You'll see overflowing in many thanksgivings to God in verse 12. And now you see here that thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift in verse 15. So if you are the giver, your Love for those that you're giving to is growing and your bond of unity is growing stronger. And as you thank God for, the, for his provision and thank him for making uh, the need known and your ability to meet that need, your bond with other Christians that your money goes to help is growing. Also, that your love for the gospel, your view of the cross gets a little sharper focus. And Paul concludes this passage with, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That word inexpressible is also um, unspeakable. Uh, you may have seen that in a, another translation. And the one I showed you last week is this, too wonderful for words. The more... The more we meditate on the cross, the more we run out of words to thank God for his grace. I long for heaven, and I don't think we'll run out of words. But until then, well, joyfully, thankfully, in unity with other believers, run out of words.
It results in thankful unity around his son. I wondered if this was the son of God that was to be the inexpressible gift, or it was the Holy Spirit that is mentioned as Christ promised the gift. Uh, but if you look at the context before and after, we don't see the Holy Spirit mentioned at all. And we see Christ mentioned, the gospel of Christ mentioned before. We also see uh, Christ mentioned in verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. So I think Christ is the best interpretation of the inexpressible gift. So how, why this message and why now? This is God putting 2 Corinthians uh, in the order that it's in. And this is just so happened to be on the Sunday that we almost transitioned from Thanksgiving to Christmas and how Thanksgiving is connected to Christmas and the world just keeps putting blinders up <laughs> that they don't even want to look at the cross and we can't get enough of the cross. Like we can sing about it, we can meditate on it day and night and it's still rich, it is still exciting, it is still motivating. Motivating what? Generous giving. If you don't want to be a generous giver, if you're well and you're reluctant and you are, look back at verses 5 to 7 and you're in those categories where, I don't want to be a generous giver. It's really hard to give my money away. Then go back to the cross. Stay there until you leave and you're like, okay. All right, I'm done. I'm good. Be a generous giver, God. It's too wonderful for words. God's, God's gift is too wonderful for words. That's what he says in verse 15. It's inexpressible. We can't express it. We should be expecting this in the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him now how does this verse 521 connect us to our passage today we see righteousness twice in verse uh, 9 and 10 and it's the righteousness of godly people who are giving God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us this is God's inexpressible gift and here's the other part of that gift, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And how do people know that we are righteous, we have the righteousness of God and we're in Christ? When we generously give. So the application, and we're going to stop after this first point, we're going to pray, and then we'll get the other two. All right? The unusual ending to our service right now we're going to stop we're going to thank god privately i'll give you 30 seconds to thank god for using others giving to provoke you to praise him okay so this is just the first point i'll give you 30 seconds and then i will pray and then we'll move on to the other uh, two points
wonderful Father, our generous God, thank you for using many believers in our lives this year to provoke them, uh, to give us of their time and money, to minister to our, our physical needs. And we thank you and praise you for them. I pray that you'd bless them as you show us here in this passage that you will multiply and supply and multiply their seed for sowing and increase the harvest of their righteousness. We pray that their righteousness would endure forever and their confidence in you and your word and your plan would grow. For your glory we pray. Amen. Second, meditate on the connection. We didn't have time to look at it in detail, but there's some homework that will help you. Go back through verse uh, 13 and 14 and meditate on the connection of your obedience to the gospel leading to gracious giving. How does obedience to the gospel and gracious giving, how are they linked and how is it so that other people can see it and they thank God for it? It's obviously a fruit that can be seen. So meditate on that connection of my obedience, your obedience, your confession of the gospel, and how does that lead to gracious giving? And then third, one more point. When we give this Christmas, the world gives with different motives than we do as believers. Why does the world, why does the world give gifts at Christmas? Because it makes them feel good. It makes you feel really good when you get a nice gift for someone else and they absolutely love it. And they throw their arms around your neck and, oh, thank you, Grammy. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, brother or sister. Thank you, son, daughter. It makes you feel good. But we as Christians don't give because it makes us feel good. Why do we give? Because it glorifies God. So examine your heart motive for giving. If it's not to glorify God, and it's probably going to be a struggle for you to give, or you're going to not please God in your giving. This passage tells us how to please God in our giving, how to be motivated in our giving. Look at the results of our giving, and what is the primary motivation and example of our giving is God's inexpressible gift. And we as believers know that gift. We know it so well, we've experienced it. And now we can reflect it. So your giving this Christmas season should be a different motivation, different level, different thought process, different heart than the world who doesn't know God. They don't know that inexpressible gift. Oh, the gift might be there for them, but they haven't received it. But we have. And to whom much is given, much is required. Our giving should be different. Commit now to daily thank God for Christ. If you and I had a unique prayer that we prayed to God for Christ's gift to us, we would not use the same, we would not have to use the same words. It is that rich and it's that deep and it's that wide and that broad and Ephesians 3 tells us it is to know the love of Christ. 
it is huge. Try to plumb the depths, and you'll come up with the psalmist, like, the songwriter, like, okay, if everybody was uh, uh, a, um, a scribe and all the oceans of ink, it would, and all the sky of parchment made, it would drain the oceans dry to write the love of God. And that's true. Commit now as God's people to daily thank God for Christ. And you'll find that your heart is warmed. That your heart is full. You'll find that God will help you to pray differently. He will connect you to people differently. He will cause you to give differently. And he'll cause your relationship to him to grow by leaps and bounds. And we'll close our service with a prayer that would be similar to number three. Let's pray. Father, what you have given us is yours. All of our life, all of our breath, all of our finances, all of our resources, all of our houses and cars and children, family, everything we have belongs to you, all of our time. Help us to be generous givers of our energy, our time, our money, in a way that reflects your inexpressible gift of Christ. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word this week. Change us by your glory, from one glory to the next, by your spirit and our inner man. May that show up in fruit that yields many thanksgivings for your, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.